Blog Talk Radio. Gonna tell you a little bedtime tale, legend it will become. Burgers flying out the door, sail on. Two for one, no concern for the future. Living for today. Fast food bite on your way, lay it all to waste. The masses are afflicted now. Moo, mad cow, mad cow, mad cow, mad cow, line dance song. Hey, Sangai Nation, welcome to the show on another Friday afternoon. Sangai along with the good son, Andrew Michelson, with you. Real fast before we get to things with our guests, if you are looking for some pro wrestling this week, tonight, WCWO at the Outlaw Arena in Indianapolis, Indiana. CWA in North Vernon, Indiana, Pro Wrestling All-Stars Detroit in Taylor, Michigan, and STW in Brazil, Indiana. Tomorrow night, GCW running in Indianapolis, Indiana, DOA in Portland, Oregon, War in Lima, Ohio, WCWO in Lebanon, Indiana, NGW in Crawfordsville, Indiana, ECW in Ferguson, Kentucky, SNPW in Crossville, Illinois, Lucha Libre in the Bay in San Francisco, California, FSW in Las Vegas, Nevada, and Lucha Libre and Laughs in Denver, Colorado tomorrow. Without any further ado, I want to welcome our guest to the show today. We are excited to have him on. He is a wrestling historian. He is the owner of one of the largest wrestling memorabilia collections known to exist. Tom Burke, thank you so much for being here. Oh, we just lost Tom. Let me call him right back. All right. One moment, good son. All right. Hello. Hello, Mr. Burke. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. We definitely uh, my appreciate pleasure. you. Now, to start the show, I'm going to give you our traditional first-timer question. How did you first get involved in our crazy professional wrestling industry? Well, I was a 11, 12-year-old kid back when Eisenhower was president, back in the day when TV, TVs were black and white. Uh, I was in like sixth grade, and <clears throat> Sunday Sunday morning I went to church, and a group of my uh, classmates and friends were hanging out and talking about wrestling, and they said, Tom, you got to watch it. So the next Saturday I watched it, and well... That was a long time ago, and I just got hooked on it, and one thing led to another. I started off as a fan, of course, like we all do, and eventually evolved into what they tell me I'm a wrestling historian. I really consider myself more of a wrestling researcher, because I can't remember dates worth of squat, uh, but uh, in the course of my uh, time involved in wrestling, I've uh, encountered a lot of people. 
I've worked a lot of uh, different things, from writing magazine articles while I was still in high school to editing the Ring Wrestling magazine, booking talent around the world. I booked talent uh, in South Africa, uh, Germany, for Otto Vance. I booked uh, people to go to the Middle East. So it was uh, and involved with the Cauliflower Alley Club and the Wrestling Fans International Association back in a day when wrestling, in my opinion, was wrestling. You bring up the CHD, and I know you are a proud member of the Cauliflower Alley Club. In the last several years, they opened up the doors to pretty much anyone that wants to attend the annual convention, and they've included seminars and live shows and things of that nature. But when right. The CAC has taken, a, has taken a, a different approach from the way it used to be run. Uh, some of, some of the uh, uh, avenues that they have taken have been very positive, which you had just mentioned were the uh, seminars. And also the fact is... Uh, that back in the day, to be a member of the, of the Cauliflower Alley Club, one had to be sponsored to get in. Luckily, I was fortunate to have a sponsor. And, uh, but those were, those were a long time ago. All those, the, the sponsorees are all gone. Uh, the administration of the CAC has completely changed over, some for the best and some not for the best. Uh, in order for it to survive, they have to have an open membership. That's totally understandable. It's just a different ball game. I haven't been to CAC in God, I, let's see since post COVID. I think the year before COVID took over, I attended the event. Now, when CAC first started, it was a reunion, really of wrestlers, people that were in the industry, and it also was a benevolent fund like it still is today to help wrestlers that are in need financially, whether they're struggling due to health or accidents, things like that. Exactly. The CAC had the benevolent fund, and CAC at the time, it was a a a trinity of uh, avenues that they honored. People in wrestling, of course, boxing people and people in the film industry. And uh, that continued for a while, uh, up to probably maybe the last 10 years, I guess, maybe a little longer, where the uh, CAC is is almost exclusively wrestling now. I mean, when I first attended there, attended CAC back in the 70s, uh, as Cesar Romero was there, Evelyn's, um, oh God, uh, Stella, Stella Stevens, the singer. Um, oh God, there, um, there several other uh, other notable uh, Hollywood type people were there. Archie Moore, boxing was there. Willie Pep, all boxing champions. Now you were around in professional wrestling when. Cable television was starting to become prominent, and cable television changed professional wrestling immensely for good or for bad, no matter what your opinion on it. There's no denying there was a change. What 
did you notice when you first started seeing cable television coming to the forefront as it related to pro wrestling? Okay, uh, you know, prior prior to cable, uh, the uh, wrestling on TV was basically a locally produced program in various parts of the country by by the promoters. When cable started to come on, and the industry, especially with Vince, and either with Turner, but specifically with Vince, Vince was a predator with easy prey because the promoters that were promoting back in the day in the territories were not savvy to the changes that was taking place within the industry or in with cable. You know, they weren't business people. They were old wrestlers. You know, I'm even Vern Gagne <coughs> was said to even watch his TV show. You know, so, you know, uh, it, it was a time that uh, Vince saw the opportunity, and it was only Vince. He had business people behind him who enabled him to take over, to contact the TV stations, to buy the time, where before the TV stations were paying local promoters for the program. Now Vince comes in, offers to, uh, an hour that he will buy, and of course they, uh, they sell local ads for TV uh, outlets or refrigerators or something, so they got a double revenue, they got a, a double hit of payoffs, they got to pay off from Vince, they got to pay off from local ads. So it's a no-win situation. One of the other big pieces of technology that also really helped to change wrestling and make it accessible to people no matter where they were, they could see wrestling from all over, was the VCR. Uh, VHS tapes became hugely popular with wrestling fans because there was tape trading going on, so someone in one part of the country could follow the wrestling. Oh, absolutely! Part. I have, yeah, I have, God, I have loads of VHS tapes. But even prior to VHS tapes, another outlet for fans, diehard wrestling fans, were audio tapes cassette recording tapes and reel to reel people would tape the shows off TV and send it to their correspondents i have several from uh oh amarillo uh some denver um and other areas so you know the the tape trading did not start with vhs tapes they started with audio tapes and when you first we're seeing VHS tapes, did you think that was going to increase the popularity in pro wrestling, or did you think it would be a passing fad at the time? No, I, I thought it would add to the popularity of wrestling. I mean, I couldn't wait to get my VHS tapes, like from Japan, and I went out and I bought a uh, uh, which I still have is a uh, a VHS recorder, which 
it is compatible to any system worldwide because in Europe they had the PAL system. And, you know, we just plug it in and uh, hit hit the PAL button or the lever, and it would play. You couldn't do that. Uh, so I used to have people in England and Austria and Australia would send me stuff. Now, in the last several months, there was a movie called The Iron Claw that came out that chronicled the Von yes. Erich. But in the 1970s, Vern Gagne funded a movie called The Wrestler that still today wrestling fans remember fondly. And even if you're a younger fan, a lot of them still watch the movie because there were so many well-known wrestlers that appeared in it. I'd At the it. time that it came out, did you watch... The wrestler and did you have? Oh yeah, we we on? went. I I I went to uh, I went to see the theater in the theater. The wrestler, and you know uh, it was a Vern Gagne production per se. And I'm trying to think of the actor who was in there, who was a longtime friend and classmate of of Vern Gagne. And uh, God, he was in he he was he was uh, in the TV show with Mary Tyler Moore, and and and. and uh, and uh, thank you, yeah. thank you. I'm happy. I, I have senior moments here, so you have to help me here. Yeah. So I, you know, he was probably a link to get uh, to get to get get a sold to the uh, studios, et cetera, to do it. And when it came out, did you think that the wrestler was going to spawn more wrestling-based movies, or did you see it as sort of just a Commercial for the I thought it was going to be like a one-time. I thought it was going to be like a one-time shot. Good enough. Well, at this time, I co-host Andrew. Yeah, by, and I know Andrew's got questions as well, so I'm going to yeah. pass things to him for a bit. Yeah, because right. um, prior to the 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 wrestler, a decade before, there was a movie called Alias the Champ. Uh, which starred Gorgeous George, the original Gorgeous George. Yes. Uh, so okay. it was not. So, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, you finish what you said. No, it, was, it wasn't <laughs> alien to to see a wrestling movie on the big screen in the theaters. Yeah. Very true. Um, so. Going back to talking about, like, the wrestling movies and stuff, um, and you said you watched the Vergania one and stuff, what um, wrestling movie has really stood out to you as, like, a really good um, – words are hard for me right now um, – like, showing of what wrestling truly is? Uh, well, for the time, I thought the wrestler was good. Uh, and presenting it like – uh, like it would be, uh, I got promo for 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 an upcoming wrestling event. You know, the Wrestling Queen was Vivian Vachon was another movie that came out with, uh, uh, which was an interesting movie. Uh, I I, I love the Vachon family. I was very friendly with all of them, and I th- I thought that was very good as well. Even though it did not get the um, 
uh, raves or the push like the wrestler did. Uh, and I'm trying to think if there was an oh Henry Winkler did something too with the uh, as as a, um, a take off on Gorgeous George, which was a lousy movie by the way. I can't th- I can't even think the name of it now. Uh, the Natural. The, yes, right. Was it Natural or something like that? Yeah, the one like the one that. and only. Yeah, one and only. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you know it. Uh, you know it wasn't. Um, uh, I don't know, and I guess there's been other movies since, you know. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. One that, like, obviously, since I'm a little bit younger, obviously, uh, you know, the wrestler with Mickey Rourke. I always love that one because it does. Sh- I think that shows like a good um, coming off of you know being big and you know everything. Um, so I, I, and I've, I've watched the older wrestler as well. And then I, I did watch the one and only, which that one was kind of silly to me, but it, it kind of showed, you know, the aspects of it. Um, so you, the magazine and stuff, um, what was your favorite part about working for the magazine? Oh, the interviews. And, and, um, Getting to know some of the wrestlers, becoming very good friends with them over the years. Um, you know, uh, at that time in the, the 70s, when I really got involved in doing the magazines, uh, wrestling was still kayfabe. You know, you yeah. had to build up a trust with a wrestler or a promoter to enter into the, uh, into the door. You know, I, I was I was extremely fortunate, uh, and uh, one one of the people that was responsible for my getting into that was uh, uh, Paul Vachon, the Butcher Vachon, who just passed away today. Uh, he was very instrumental in helping me uh, in the early seventies. Uh, I was working in New York City at the time, and. Uh, you know, New York City was the hubbub of all the wrestling magazines, uh, Ring Wrestling, The Wrestler, Inside Wrestling, Wrestling World, etc. And it was yeah. Napolitano, Bill Lapter, and others, Frankie Amato. And I did not have, a, I, could, I could not make my way into the niche. I, I got the courtesy pass, press pass, etc., except it was, it was crowded. Plus, you had other publicity people there as well from non-wrestling yeah. magazines. And... At the time, I was looking for Trailways bus lines you know, okay. out in New York City as a dispatcher, and I, <clears throat> I was up in Vermont visiting family, and uh, a wrestling show was going on in Rutland, and Paul Vachon was on with the Grand Prix Wrestling, so I approached the local promoter uh, a week before, so oh, yeah, come on up. So anyway, so I went and I started a friendship. So then I started going up to uh, Burlington, Vermont, once once a month, sometimes twice a month, to cover the matches. And I ended up going to Montreal, and you know, and Paul Vachon had visited me here in Springfield after a couple times and everything. So I had a very good relationship with with, with the Vachons, and I, and, uh, I, I, I dearly loved the man because he's the one who really opened the door for me. Mm-hmm. That's cool, that's cool. So speaking of kayfabe, you know, we all know the word, we all know the term. When do you? When would you say kayfabe officially, like, really died? Where I mean, people still try oh, to died? keep it around. 
Like, oh, probably, yeah, when do you think when, it probably, like, probably when Vince did the interview, and it was in the New York Times, you know, okay. uh, that it was just a, uh, the, the secret was out, you know. And, of course, all the old-timers were up and up and uh, at him about him. But, you know, uh, he wanted to get out of the realm of the state commissions in order to promote as entertainment, thus not having to pay the state athletic commissions. Yeah. Uh, he succeeded in some areas. In other areas, he did not succeed. That's fair. Yeah, I would say, yeah, because I think, I mean, obviously, like I said, we everyone knows that it's a work and all that. It, everyone knows that it's, you know, I still, to an extent, try to keep kayfabe as much as possible, but it, it's harder nowadays, I think, uh, you know, especially with social media and all that and people just around well, everywhere. The, 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 the wrestling, at least what I have seen, it's not believable. You don't have a guy in there out really trying to really wrestle the guy, his opponent, and and not to annihilate him. That does not exist any longer. It yeah. really doesn't, anyways. No, the I definitely agree. Is gone. No, I, I definitely, yeah, it's kind of, well, like you said, you know, you have so much social media nowadays that literally anywhere and everywhere someone's seen something, you know. You know, you got fans that are, you know, social media seeing, pointing everything and this, well, yeah, this, well, they, and this. Every, every, everybody's a critic. Yeah. They think they know everything when they really don't yeah, know much because a lot of these people yeah. – I feel like a lot of the people um, um, that critique, they've never even stepped foot in the ring, let alone know what exactly. we actually go yeah. through. I so. agree with you 100% on that. Um, I think I'm. So you say like your uh, historian and stuff. What's like your favorite years to really go back on and like look up and oh, research geez. and do all that? Well, I'm on the road here with you. I have most people. It's going to small segment. I like the 30s and the 40s. Okay. I encountered two gentlemen that I got to know but did not realize their total involvement in wrestling other than being a couple of local wrestlers in the area. And one of them, Ted Herbert, was actually a wrestling promoter back in the 40s here in Springfield and who worked with Jack Pfeffer. If I had known that, when he was alive, God, I would, I'd be a sponge. I would talk to him and get everything out. But to me, he was, he, you know, he didn't brag. But he said he was a wrestler from the early third, late thirties into the forties, and that was it. You know, and he said he yeah. wrestled in New England, and that was it. But doing my research, I found out that he ended up promoting 
uh, Pension Stadium, which was our local baseball stadium at the time. I mean, and, and I look at the names, and they're all the Pfeffer boys. And I said, oh, my God, if I only had the chance to sit down and talk to them. Yeah. So you just never know. Very true. Um, so my brain's like um, foggy for a second. Um, so my phone's not one. Sorry. Say again, um, please. Oh, my phone was being weird for a second. My it wasn't wanting to cooperate. Okay. Um, so. You know, you talked about the, your, the interviews and stuff for the magazine. What was your hardest interview? Like, what was the one that just was really hard to either get or just to conduct in general? Oh, geez, that's a, that's a good question. <sighs> hmm. I, I have to think about that for a minute and everything. I was very, I, I had a very good relationship with her, and that was with Moolah. Okay. And as I look back at it, you know, her her um, scenario was always the same. It never, she opened up only a few times, giving me some interesting tidbits here and there, but still kayfabed a lot of stuff, you know. I okay. I, I was, uh, uh, I, I look back at it now, and, you know, she, uh, she, she, even her book, her blink, her book clammed up, you know, it was just a piece of work, that's all it was, yeah. you know. And there's a woman who could have had stories after stories to share, but she, she was old school. Oh, yeah. But her, uh, you know, uh, I was fortunate enough to, uh, have lunch with her several times, and we would discuss things. And you know, she, she was open, but there was still a guard up. Okay, makes a lot of sense, actually. Like you said, yeah, it's. I feel like definitely nowadays, especially, you know, they put out, especially WWE back in the day, they were putting out movies after movies, like the do, the three disc documentaries of wrestlers and. You saw a lot of wrestlers breaking kayfabe real quick because everyone's like, "Oh, it's dead, anyways." But so that's yeah, I could see, I could definitely see Mula being one that kept kept strong. That's pretty right. cool. Um, that's all I got for right now. Uh, what do you got, sign guy? Well, Mister Burke, I know you mentioned being very close to the Vashans, and we did lose one of them today. Do you want to talk a little bit about? The Vachon family. Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, let's just concentrate on uh, on Paul Vachon, who, sad to say, passed away. He has a, he had a very interesting wrestling history. Even though Maurice was already wrestling when Paul broke in, Paul broke in in an unusual way. He 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 wrestled. He was starting to wrestle for the Van Fleet promotion which was a promotion run by Donald Van Fleet and his wife, Violet Ray. They were a regional promotion, 
but a real throwback to a traveling promotion. They would travel all over the United States and into Canada, as well as, and they even went to Cuba. As a matter of fact, they they were in Cuba. Paul Vashon wasn't with them at the time, but they were in Cuba when Castro took over, and they had to exit the island to come back to the United States. But getting back to Paul Vashon, he 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 got his start with uh, the Vashon with, with the, the Van Fleet promotion. And, you know, and, of course, they were very dear to him because I, I luckily put them in touch with each other years later and everything. And it was it was just a phenomenal uh, reunion they had on the phone from what Violet told me, you know. So it was it's, it's a good thing. But Paul was a mastermind of 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 wrestling history of the of the side of the business because he grand, ran Grand Prix Wrestling with his brother Maurice and uh, Kiliko also was also part owner of the promotion and he uh, came into the WWF and uh, we went out to eat after his um, match in Springfield with his wife and a little girl who happened to be Luna or became a moon, I should say, and he came over to my house, and I have a pretty good-sized wrestling collection, and he wrote in my uh, guest book a little part of our world. So I, 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 I'm going to miss the man. He was I, I, in the last couple, several, in the last six months, I guess he had a lot of difficulty speaking. So I, I would text his wife. And she would contact and speak to him, and he would write out replies, etc. No, he, he Paul was a good man, a wonderful fellow. As you know, there have been numerous families within professional wrestling that have seen success. You have. The Von Erichs, the Vashans, the Hearts, the Anawai family, so many families out there with several members that have become top stars. What do you think it is about professional wrestling that lends itself to being more or less a family business where many members of the family can succeed? Outside of the Vashans, because the Vashans were a bit different from the other families that you mentioned in the sense that they traveled. The Von Erichs were the, uh, shall we we say, the stars of of the Texas promotion, world class, etc., even though they they did extend into other areas and everything and under world class, but back in the day when their promotions were regional, that's where they stayed. Uh, except the Von Erichs would go to St. Louis and wrestle for Sam Munchnik, but other than that, they they stayed locally within the great state of Texas. You know, and the same with the Grahams, Eddie Eddie and uh, Mike Graham, and of course you had the Welches had that whole. Tennessee, Eastern 
the Alabama area and everything. So I, I think it was a homegrown thing. And again, going going back to to local TV, those wrestlers that had that family link within a geographic area, they paralleled with their fan base, and that made them successful. And we talked about wrestling movies early in the interview, but in the uh, last... Say again, please. I didn't hear what you said. I saying we discussed the wrestling movies earlier, but books have also become a big part of what wrestling fans collect. Do you have a particular favorite book related to pro wrestling? Uh... I, I like the latest, the latest book that has come out, and I'm getting prejudiced because I, he was one of the first wrestlers I saw live, and that's the, the Sheik book by Brian Solomon. By far one of the better biographies I've ever, I've ever read. And he's also working on a Gorilla Monsoon book now. Uh, that's good. Um... There are a couple other books. Uh, the Rego book was good. I enjoyed that. It was a good read. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> oh, I'm trying to think uh, what else has been coming down the pike and everything. There's, there's a book in 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 the works by a gentleman by the name of Corey Santos, who's working on the biography of Jack Pfeffer. Ooh, I'm looking forward to that when it comes out, but that's probably down the road. Hopefully, I'll still be around. Uh, but you know, there, uh, there's some other books that have been good, that were good. Benny Banner's book was interesting, uh, but the top book, in my opinion, uh, right now, <coughs> would be the Sheik bio or biography. Now. In addition to wrestling magazines, starting in the late 70s, wrestling newsletters became popular. A lot of fans put out newsletters to keep other fans knowledgeable about what was happening in other parts of the country. Some of them still to this day are running. Uh, Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer and The Torch out of Minnesota still very prominent after decades in existence. When wrestling newsletters first came out, did you subscribe to any of those in order to follow what was happening, or did you stick mainly to the tape trading? No, I I have tons of wrestling bulletins, fan club bulletins, whatever you want to call them. I go back in my collection, I go back to the 1930s, where there was uh, two individuals <clears throat> who ran newsletters. Uh, one out of Louis Gomez. Uh, Go, I'm sorry, I, I, I mispronounced his name. Lou Gometz. He he was a New York fella. He, he wrestled too, and he would do like a result newsletter and send it out to his correspondents. So uh, the newsletter thing is nothing that just snapped in the 1970s. It goes back to the 1930s. And then, of course, fan clubs developed from that. Uh, as to get to your question, 
since I was involved with Ring Wrestling Magazine and I was doing a fan club column, I was getting comp issues of various newsletters and fan clubs to to publicize. So uh, I did take out a subscription to uh, Scott Teal's wonderful bulletin, Whatever Happened To, uh, who was uh, a phenomenal historian and writer. As a historian, I'm sure you have also researched some of the Lucha Libre wrestling, and it has become popular in the United States in the last 20 years or so, but prior to that, Lucha Libre had a really small niche audience in the United States. Did you particularly enjoy the Lucha Libre style, and did you spend a lot of time researching it, or was it a little I, bit I out of time? Lot of time. No, I, I actually went to Mexico three times, and this would have been in the 80s. Um, in the 70s, I was in Phoenix, and there was a lucha show in Phoenix at the time with a bunch of you know indie guys, but they were all Mexicans. So you know, but they were not the uh, high class, flashy stuff that we see today in lucha libre. But uh, no, I've I've always been fascinated by lucha libre. Uh, I have never done a in depth study of the, uh, study of the sport, even though the earlier days there were always relationships between uh, the Luchador promotions of Lothario uh, and the NWA. Uh, Luthez wrestled down there. Paul Vachon wrestled in, Mon- in Mexico. Uh, Dory Dixon, Dory Dixon is a Mexican. But, you know, so there always, uh, uh, Bull Curry was another fellow who wrestled in Mexico, you know, for the Lucha promoter. But, of course, he all those guys went in in their own style. They didn't do the Lucha style, but they were in there for a draw. But uh, I've, I've always found it fascinating because it's got a yeah, – I love the showmanship of it, the, the uh, um, ring style, ring attire, you know, the, the mystery man, the masked man, oh, just, just fabulous stuff. I visited, when I was in Mexico, I visited the grave site, or not the grave site, but the, the mausoleum of uh, El Santo. And uh, his image is engraved on the, the, the plaque with his picture, uh, with the, with the uh, El Santo uh, hood. You mentioned helping book people for shows overseas, including the Middle East. Was it hard to get wrestlers to go to the Middle East, considering how turbulent the politics were at the time and there were well, wars? When I was involved in that, that era. Yeah, I, I was involved in that with Luthez, and. <clears throat> We were talking. He was talking about talent. He wanted. He wanted something different uh, because he had his. So he had his crew. I said, "Listen, I got this guy Bobby Cortez who wrestles under uh, uh, Chief Whitefeather. He's a, he's a you know, New Yorker, uh, 
Puerto Rican guy, but he goes as an Indian. Anyways, I sent him pictures, put them in contact, and he went over to uh, Kuwait for with Luthes. And that would have been in, let's see, probably early 80s, before all the turmoil and everything. So, uh, you know, that was my only contact there. Now, did you get a lot of wrestlers over the years that wanted you to come to shows to sort of scout talent and help with booking tours, or were you uh, just no, 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 familiar really, enough? I, 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 had, knowing who wrestling was, and thank God I had two stable jobs my whole life, and I knew that giving all that up and going to wrestling was not the feasible thing to do. So to answer your question, I, I would, uh, you know, I go to local shows that Kowalski was running or or uh, in my travels or something, and, you know, somebody asked me a, a, a contact number, if, do I know anybody here, uh, blah, 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 you know. Uh, here, I, I, I can get you a number, you know. But that's uh, not not with the intention of directly booking someone. Got it. Now, since you have watched wrestling for so long, uh, you are aware that the actual physical wrestling rings can vary quite a bit. Every promotion had their own ring. Some of them were... 16 foot, some were 18 or 20, some used real ropes, some used cables, some used planks, some used two-by-fours to build it. Did you have a personal favorite physical wrestling ring that you most like to watch wrestling? Nothing comes to mind. I, 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 I don't think I ever really engaged in thinking about that to any degree to be honest with you uh you know um having put rings up myself a number of times uh i i, I no i i can't answer that specifically no okay one of the other parts of pro wrestling that some people really enjoy and others don't like as much are the big men matches where you have two guys that are maybe 300 pounds a piece wrestling. It's usually a slower pace, a little bit more of a brawl than other matches. Did you personally like watching the big man matches or did you prefer to see the smaller, more athletic and agility-based wrestlers? Well, when, as I was growing up, these the stars in the local area were big guys for for their time period, like Kowalski, Doctor Bill Miller, uh, Dick the Bruiser, etc. You know, they, they were all big guys. They were they were bigger. You know, they they had the look of bigger than life at the time. You know, and of course, as we progressed, we had the guys got bigger and bigger. Um, as for liking to see a match between two guys that are, you know, 
that are close to 300 each uh, isn't appealing. Maybe their character might be, but maybe their match is not. I don't know. It would, it would depend upon who they, who they are. That's fair enough. Since you have been a researcher in wrestling and you have watched for so long, you have seen a lot of angles happen from a lot of different promotions. And in wrestling, sometimes angles do not go well for a variety of reasons. What would you say has been the one angle that you would classify as the worst you have ever seen? Well, I, I think, and again, this would have been I would I would probably would have seen it on video. Is when and I may get the participants wrong on this. I believe it was I believe it was in Memphis when I, Eddie Gilbert was involved with another wrestler and getting hit. Someone got hit by a car. Do you remember that? Uh, Jerry Lawler was hit by a car in Memphis. Was that what Jerry Long was? And Ed, Ed, was Eddie Gilbert the driver? Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. I think is, is too extreme. Um, Jerry Lawler actually fractured his hip legitimately in that, and then had to tell right. the police okay. that it was just an angle. Yeah. talked a little bit about how you have one of the largest wrestling memorabilia collections out there. If you had to narrow it down to a few pieces, what would you say are some of the most historically significant pieces in your collection? Oh, good. Okay. I'll name three items. One of them would be the Grand Prix wrestling belt which was held in Montreal, which I was uh, gifted by Killer Kowalski. Since he he had the belt made, it was his belt, which we used later for the International Wrestling Federation, which was Kowalski's promotion here in New England. That, a gorgeous George, Georgie pin, and a loving cup for uh, Tony, for, from... Bill Olivas, a.k.a. Tony Olivas, to Jack Pfeffer. Those are probably the top three items that come to mind uh, right away. I have other stuff, too, but those are the three things that are very dear to me. I'm sure you get offers quite often on pieces of merchandise from other collectors. What would you say has been the biggest offer made to you for a piece of your collection? Um, some years ago, while I was still working, as a matter of fact, I had a year to work before I was going to retire, a gentleman offered me <clears throat> a sizable amount of money for a 
item that I had in my collection, which I acquired back in the, in the 1970s. So we're talking, I, I retired in 2008. So about 2007, he offered me a sizable amount of money for the uh, Pedro Morales championship belt, which I held in my collection. And, you know, there's a line in The Godfather, a, a, a you know, an offer you can't refuse. And having debated with several people about the belt over the years and what they wanted, to, uh, this guy just was uh, over the top. And had I known at the time what his position was in his line of work, I would have held off and played around more and attempted to get more money. Because when the final um, arrangements were made, he sent the courier up from his company to pick it up and he happened to have a very lucrative job as vice president of marketing or security with uh, uh, Victoria uh, House or whatever it is and everything. So, you know, I, I should have held out, <laughs> but I didn't. But I, I still made out well. All right. Well, Andrew, did you have any other questions for Mr. Burke? Um, actually, speaking of, you know, you talked about, like, um, the, the sizable amount of stuff. What is one part of your collection, like, one thing in your collection you would never get rid of? Oh, geez, never? Just n no matter what. I, I'm visualizing now what I see in my collection, uh, trinkets, et cetera. But probably the one thing that is the dearest to me would be my correspondence file of letters from wrestlers. That would probably be the, the thing I would like to, I would, I would save in case of a fire. There you go. All right. Well, that's the last question I had. <laughs> I was more curious, yeah. Because I know, like, because I'm a collector myself, so I know as a collector, there's always that one thing that if you had to save, you'd save it. <laughs> So. Yeah, exactly. All right. All right. Um, we are getting down to the last of the show today. I want to make sure you have ample time. If there's anything you would like to say to the listeners, if you want to plug and promote absolutely anything at all, floor is all yours. Well, I, I hope I, I, I hope that people will get a chance to go on my Facebook page, just Tom Burke. I am posting, starting this, starting, actually started today, uh, a in-depth look at my wrestling collection. In the past, I've, I've put up wrestling collection and just had odds and ends, but now I'm focusing on an in-depth look of what I have a, a look I have collected since I was 12 years old, and I'm reaching. 80 in a couple of years. 
So there's a vast amount of wrestling memorabilia that is there. Uh, some stuff is, uh, uh, is, is interesting. As a matter of fact, uh, Red Bastine, when he came to visit, he walked in my office and he said, Paul Bosch East, because Paul Bosch had this magnificent collection of memorabilia as well. You know, so that, that was a, high, a, a big compliment. But, uh, yeah, if everyone wants to see what my collection is like, just head down and uh, go on Facebook to Tom Burke, Springfield, Mass., and you can take a look at my collection that I'll be posting every day. Okay. All right. Well, Tom Burke, I want to thank you very, very much for taking the time to be with us today. We definitely enjoyed having you. Hopefully we will get to do it again, and I want to wish you – the very best. Thank you very much. It was great speaking to you guys. Keep wrestling alive, especially the old school stuff. Take care. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, Andrew, you got some things you want to plug and promote before we sign off today? Um, just March 30th, uh, CPW will be back at Club Hectic in Linwood, Washington for uh, Point to the Sign. So I'm going to be pointing at you a lot. You sure will, and you've got some explaining to do. I I definitely do. Yep, that that's. I think you did. Yeah. All I can say is most people think probably thought did I quit CPW? No, I did not quit CPW. I just quit being the hero. The best way I can put it for now. Well, I'm going to be listening as you're pointing at me on the 30th yep. in Linwood. All right. But, uh, <laughs> fans, don't forget, we can definitely invite you right back here on Sunday afternoon on Turnbuckle Turmoil. This coming Sunday, we have Edris Wolf out of the great state of Indiana, a very quickly rising star in the making. Make sure you get on the bandwagon early for him. Then one week from this very day, someone that the good son knows very, very well, the Spoiled Princess will be joining us. So make sure you have a oh, plan Andrew, you probably got some questions for her, I would think. Oh, you know it. I might have to be a little biased. Just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm going to roast her. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Like like you said, I do know her very well. That is, uh, for most of you that don't know, that is my manager. Indeed. Also a pain in the neck. Ouch. All <laughs> right, and fans, you can catch me this month in a few spots. I will be back at Northwest Pro Wrestling in Vaughn, Washington on the 16th. I'll be back at Club Hectic in Linwood for Combat Pro Wrestling Presents Point to Apparently Me on the 30th. Chicken Bob will be there as well, so come say hello to Chicken Bob. Follow him on the Twitter and the Gram if you do not already. And as we wrap up today, uh, it was made mention earlier, but today we did lose Paul Butcher Vashon. Also, earlier in the week, we lost Mike Soul Train Jones, not to be confused with Coach Mike Jones. Soul Train Jones, also no. known as Virgil Vincent and Curly Bill at points in his career. And we also lost a member of the original Four Horsemen, The Rock, Ollie Anderson, 
So it's been a very, very rough week here in the wrestling industry. So as we wrap up, we're going to hit our traditional 10-bell salute to those that we've lost. Thank you. 